Today's Old Testament reading, Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 1 through 6. I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. At that time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall take your tambourines and go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit, for there shall be a day when the centennials will call in the hill of the country of Ephraim. Come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. This ends our first reading. So friends, a lot has happened since last Sunday in the life of Jesus. Last Sunday, the crowds gathered, and they were literally ripping branches off of trees and cloaks off their shoulders to line the streets for Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. The joyful hosannas that shook the city that day quickly turned into angry shouts of, Crucify him! Crucify him! The crowds that could not get close enough to Jesus to learn from him and experience his healing disappeared and deserted him when the powers of the world at that time stood unified against his message. The Gospel of Matthew is so rich in detail and makes it clear that the worst has happened. Jesus. The promised Messiah has taunted, or was taunted, tortured, and endured death on a cross. And y'all, that is one of the worst ways to die. It was a death that literally shook the world to its core. When Jesus took his last breath, earthquakes rumbled through Jerusalem, breaking stones apart shaking the hearts and minds of Romans and religious leaders the world over. The Gospel writer makes it clear that Jesus was not pretending. He died. He was dead. The story tells us that he was wrapped in a linen cloth and placed in a brand new tomb that was cut into the rock. And then a great stone was rolled over the entrance. There was no doubt this guy was dead. And then the text goes so far as to say that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there to witness the whole thing. They were eyewitnesses of his faithful followers who saw it all go down. But death wasn't enough for the powers of that world. Taking this man's life 
wasn't enough finality for the Roman and religious leaders. They demanded that Roman soldiers secure the tomb by standing guard until the third day, just to make really certain, really sure, that this man of peace stayed dead. They wanted to make sure that no one could steal his body and proclaim that he had come back. Matthew tells us that the Romans were so adamant that Jesus stay dead that they sealed the tomb. So none of us are really exactly sure what that means. It's not like they had crime tape that you'd have to cut to get in. But we do know that the Romans were experts at concrete. They made such high-quality concrete that structures that they built thousands of years ago are still standing today. So I like to imagine that when they sealed the stone, that they were really just putting around the edges with their super concrete to make sure that stone was not going anywhere. So sealed up tight. Soldiers standing in front of it to guard it to make sure no one could come and steal Jesus away. Days passed. Hours and hours. And it appeared that by all accounts, Rome and the ways of sin and disconnection had won. It appeared that the promises of God had lost. That they were literally entombed in stone. The disciples, faithful followers, Jesus' faithful followers, were scattered and in hiding, fearful of what that tomb represented and what it meant for them and for the world. This is where our story picks up this morning. You all were thinking I was forgetting to read the scripture passage this morning, but I wasn't. I was setting the stage for you. I could see you all looking like, I think he forgot something. I just think it's really important on this Easter on this Easter, that we understand the full scope of what was in the minds of people. In their hearts, they're scattered and fearful, truly believing that the promises of God had lost out to the powers of Rome. Days had passed. But Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, I like how Matthew just calls her the other Mary, like she doesn't have a last name. The two that had witnessed Jesus being wrapped in the linen cloth, carried into the tomb and watched as the stone was rolled into place. They just had to go back. They had to go back to the place and see just to make sure So let us listen this day for God's word of hope that comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. 
For an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So y'all, it has been three days. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and all the other disciples are in hiding. They are grieving for their lost friend. They are mourning for the love that walked in the world But they are also scared. They are terrified and waiting for the people in power to decide if Jesus' death was enough. Or if his closest followers had to be next. But this fear isn't enough to keep the Marys away from that tomb. Matthew the author of this gospel, doesn't tell us why the Marys return. He just says that they return. The authors of Mark and Luke tell us the women return with oil so they can properly anoint Jesus for burial. But as detailed as Matthew is, he doesn't tell us why these women returned to Jesus' tomb that day. Scholars say that mourners would routinely return to loved ones' tombs in that time, in the days following a burial, because, and this is a little morbid, they wanted to make certain that the person was truly dead. They would go and see the tomb, and they would listen, just to make sure no one was knocking on the door to get out. They just had to be certain that the person who had died was dead. And three days was a pretty good judge that if you were dead, you were really dead. The fear was that if they didn't come and someone was tap, tap, tapping on the door to get out, that they would be stuck and then truly be dead. The Marys knew that the tomb was being guarded. 
They saw the soldiers taking their place. They knew it was a risk to return to the tomb. Because it would mark them, it would identify them as followers of Jesus. Followers who were willing to risk and go to the tomb, even though soldiers were guarding it. It would call unwanted attention to themselves and place their lives at risk. But these women had to see the tomb. They had to make sure that Jesus was dead. But also in their hearts, they remembered his words. And they were hoping, hoping that Jesus was coming back. They had to see the tomb, but I bet they were not expecting to see what they saw that day. As I picture it, with each step toward the tomb, in the quiet of the morning, the Mary's hopes are rising. Hoping and praying that Jesus' words have come true. That he will have arisen again. But as they emerge into the clearing from between some hedges, they catch sight of Jesus' tomb. And they see in the distance that the stone is still in place. That the soldiers are still standing there. And I imagine the hopes of these women plummet. But the text tells us that this emotional journey that started quietly in the wee hours of the morning of the first day of the week soon becomes raucous. As the women draw near, they see an angel of the Lord descend from heaven. And one commentary suggests that this angel knows how to make an appearance and comes in with a flourish, with style, rolling his eyes as if to say, Take that, Caiaphas. Take that, Pilate. That's what God thinks of your effort to put the Messiah in the tomb. In prison, the Prince of Peace... Forget about it. A tomb for his final resting place? I don't think so. It was the angel, not the earthquakes that took place as the angel descended. It was the angel that opened the tomb. This angel, just to show how truly ripped he is, throws that door aside, that rock aside, and then sits on it. As if to say, <laughs> whatever, I got this. Matthew's use of the angel for this action cannot be more clear. The work of the resurrection cannot be explained by human action. The work of the resurrection was, were not some grave robbers who came in and stole the body of Jesus away. That stone was sealed. In my mind, it was concreted shut. No one could get in. Soldiers were guarding it. But this angel from God descends and just blows it all away. Matthew is making it clear that this is God's action. This is God's love breaking into the world again. As much as the powers of the world have tried to control this tomb... God's love is more powerful. As much 
as the powers of the world have tried to say, he's dead. You all have lost. God's power is more powerful, greater than the powers of the world. Breaking through all our human efforts to entomb God's love. So that once again, Israel, in the words of Jeremiah, can take their tambourines and go forth and dance in the merrymakers. The poor soldiers, though, I mean, they had no idea what was going on. Can you imagine being in their shoes? They haven't followed Jesus all that closely. They haven't heard all of the talk about the resurrection. They probably think their commanders are crazy, making them stand outside of this tomb. And have you all spent time in a cemetery at night? It's kind of creepy. So I sort of feel bad for them. They have no idea what is happening as they begin to feel the ground shaking underneath them, as they feel the world moving around them, And they look up and they see this brilliant angel descending and breaking through all of their protections without a second thought. The text tells us that they keel over and pass out from their fear. So much for the powers of the world quaking in the presence of God. The text tells us that they become like dead men. Well, in this world, they better be careful because they might end up in a tomb. But the women, the women, like most women I know, are made of stronger stuff. Are they scared? I'm sure they are. Wouldn't you be? I would be. But the women, the women remain steadfast there at the tomb. Because the women have come for a reason, and they are not leaving until they see. They are not leaving until they see Jesus turning his angelic gaze upon the Marys. The angel says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid as the earth moves around you. I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. For he has been raised. He is alive and loose in the world. But knowing that these women have come because they need to see, the angel invites them into the tomb saying, Come and see the place where he lay. Did you hear the past tense there when the angel said that? where he lay, not where he is, not where he is lying, where he lay. The angel is making it clear from the very first words that Jesus is not here, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus has been resurrected. But the angel doesn't stop there. The angel says, Come and see, and then go quickly to tell his disciples. He has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Not in this tomb, in a shroud of death, but alive and loose out in the world. 
Go and tell them. Go to Galilee. The angel knows what the women need to see the empty tomb. But the angel also knows of our human tendency to become rooted in a place. To become stuck in the face of our awe, in the face of our reverence, in the face of our fear, in the face of our wonder. We get stuck and don't want to move. But the angel, in his urgency, makes it clear that he doesn't have time for that. He wants these brave women to keep going, to carry the story out into the world so Jesus' followers can start looking for him where he lived out his ministry, in Galilee. The text tells us that the women ran to find the disciples with fear and great joy. Isn't it funny how those two things go together? Fear and great joy. So a few weeks ago, my friend Brad sent me an amazing update about a young man named Jose. Jose was 11 when we first met him in one of the bates in the Dominican Republic. I met Brad when I was the associate pastor at Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Brad had grown up in that church, and his life was shaped by a longtime mission partnership with a hospital called the Good Samaritan Hospital in La Romana. The church had helped to build this hospital to carry out medical missions to the poorest of the poor. During my ministry there, Brad and I worked to restructure that mission partnership to focus on systemic changes that could take place in the lives of the Haitians who lived in those communities. The first priority identified by leaders in the Bate were English lessons, which would allow people to get out of the dangerous sugarcane fields and secure safer and better-paying jobs in the resorts. Jose was 11 when we started this project, and he was one of the first children to really benefit from the English lessons. He got so good that the church eventually provided a way for him to attend school in La Romana, paying for bus transportation 30 minutes each way and an adult to go with him so he was safe on the bus and for the tuition at the school. His English advanced so much while attending that school that he was eventually employed by the hospital and worked as an interpreter for all the other mission groups from around the world who traveled to La Romana to carry out medical missions. So Brad sent me an email to give me an update about Jose. Jose is moving to Cleveland in a few weeks. He's going to start school at Tri-C to further his education so that he can then go back to La Romana and teach others how to speak English, and how to gain the skills that they need. Jose is terrified, and he is excited beyond measure. Those two things go together. Great joy 
about new life, new opportunities, and terror at leaving behind a life that they've always known. Leaving behind the way things have always been. The questions are flooding his brain. How is this going to work? Where am I going to live? How is this going to impact me and my family? Can you imagine what the women at the tomb were feeling? The questions that they were wrestling with at that time. The tomb is empty. What does this mean? An angel literally sent us to tell the disciples to go to Galilee. How is this going to impact our lives? What's going to happen when the Romans find out? What's going to happen when the Jewish religious leaders find out? What kind of torment is going to befall our community? But at the same time, they are, their hearts are filled with this love that is unimaginable. The Messiah, the promised King of the Jews, the one that they saw killed, is alive, returned to them. God's promises of love and faithfulness and steadfastness have been released into the world again. As they are making their way to the other disciples with the news, Jesus is there. They fall at his feet. And y'all, if he had been in South Carolina, he wouldn't have said greetings. He would have said, hey, y'all. But really, the word translated as greetings here is probably better translated as rejoice. Rejoice, I am alive. Rejoice, I am here with you. And then he looks at the women and says again, do not be afraid. As if he knows all of the questions that are floating in his head, in their heads. Jesus says, do not be afraid. As they're grasping onto his feet, worshiping him, he says, go and tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. I will be there. Galilee is not only the place where Jesus has promised to gather his scattered sheep again. It is also the place where his ministry was embodied. Where he helped everyone to see the unfolding reign of God at work in the world. Where he lived out his ministry, where he fed the hungry, clothed the naked. Where he healed the sick and raised the dead. And generally tended to the forgotten and the lonely. We gather this day like those disciples. The women are running to us, saying, go, go to Galilee. Go to the places where Jesus was active. I would guess that most of us might find the idea of getting to Galilee pretty daunting. 
None of us can just pick up what we have and, like the disciples, make our way to Galilee. We are a world away from the historical place of Galilee. But to misquote Marvel here, specifically the Thor movies, forgive me, Galilee is not a place. It never was. Galilee is where God's people stand. Galilee is not a place. It never was. Galilee is where God's people stand. And all of us in this sanctuary, in this community, in Northeast Ohio, in the whole world, are God's people. The angel and Jesus tell his disciples to go to Galilee because the risen Christ meets us in those places of graceful endeavor. Those places where healing and feeding and teaching are carried out and offered in his name. Galilee is not a place. It never was. Galilee is where God's people stand. The earth itself, which previously spun under the exhausting power of Pilate and his soldiers, the earth itself, which groaned under the weight of death by violence, disease, greed, poverty, now quakes with life, is bursting with energy because Jesus is alive. Because Jesus is loose in the world. Matthew's proclamation of the resurrection is huge, global scale, earth-changing. It was not an isolated, personal, spiritual awakening for just those two women at the tomb. It was not an isolated, local event in history. It occurred in and for the world And this day, we recognize that it continues to happen each and every day in our hearts. As we gather and search for the risen Christ at work in our lives. And then Jesus says to us, go. Go and tell my brothers, go and tell my sisters, go and tell my children to come and meet me. In Galilee. So in midst of all the world's grief and fear this day, we celebrate the Lord of life walks from the grave. In Jesus Christ, God cannot be defeated by death. God cannot be defeated by illness. God cannot be defeated by depression or anxiety, by transphobia, by homophobia, by racism, by sexism. God cannot be defeated because Jesus Christ is alive and loose in your hearts, sending you out into the world to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to love those that no one else would touch. In our world and in our life together, this is joyful good news, news that the world needs to hear. And we, like those first Easter witnesses, are called to go. 
go and tell the news. Christ is alive. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Amen.